Well, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3 for our time of study in the Word this morning. Ephesians 3. And we're going to, in one way or another, we're going to cover verse 2 through 12 of Ephesians 3. And kind of, if you want to give a title to what we're going to talk about this morning, it would be how to share your testimony. How you share your uh, testimony. We're going to learn from the example of the Apostle Paul, how we and our ministry to other people can go about sharing our testimony in a way that is pleasing to God and also uh, effective uh, in impacting uh, the lives of other people. How many of you uh, believers at some point in your life have shared your testimony with someone, whether lost or saved? Raise your hand. Okay, virtually everybody. Uh, if you're involved in ministry to people, you're going to find yourself frequently in situations where uh, you will have opportunity to share some aspect of your testimony for the benefit of the person you're talking to. Maybe, for example, you're talking to a lost person and, uh, you know, maybe they're an agnostic and they're just not sure that Christianity is true. And maybe part of your testimony is that you were an agnostic too and you can say, hey, you know, I was there where you are and can I share with you what made a difference for me? And you'll share that aspect of your testimony. Or maybe you're ministering to a believer and they're struggling in some area of sin or hurt in their lives, and uh, you've been there, you've had a similar struggle, and you then can share your own experience and maybe what God showed you that helped you to either have victory or to deal properly and successfully with that hurt. Uh, and in and, and settings like that, you have opportunity to use your story and aspects of your story uh, in ministry to other people. And I, I hope you guys understand how powerful personal testimony can be. Uh, salespeople use this all the time, people trying to market a product. They know how powerful uh, personal testimony uh, can be. I know in my own life, uh, the most significant day of my life, spiritually speaking, um, basically it was someone's personal testimony that made the difference. I had been all week at the age of 19 at a seminar where a Christian leader was preaching and teaching the Word of God. And throughout that week, I really didn't pay that close of attention. I sat on the back of the bleachers, and there were about 4,000 people there, and wasn't paying a lot of attention. But the last night of the seminar, a guy who later became one of my closest friends invited me to come sit up on the second row with him. And so I came and sat next to him, and I'm sitting right in front of this huge, massive video screen where this guy is, is teaching and preaching the Word and showing how to live for the Lord. And I still remember that night vividly because he was talking about Psalm 1. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He'll prosper in everything that he does. And that man that night shared his own testimony and gave example after example from his own experience of how God had shown himself strong in his life and had answered prayer in a powerful way. And uh, when the guy closed in prayer for that final session of the seminar, I bowed my head. It was a very brief prayer, but I said to God, I said, God, I don't know what all of this is going to involve, but I want what that man has. I'll talk to you when I get home. That's exactly what I said <laughs> to the Lord. And uh, I got home that night, 
And I went up to my bedroom and I pulled out a notebook and I wrote out a prayer to the Lord. It was November the 13th, 1982 at 11.47 p.m. that I wrote out a prayer of dedication to the Lord. I know those details because I still have the prayer that I wrote out to the Lord, essentially surrendering my life to Him. And that was the most significant turning point in my life. And when I look back on that day and I ask myself, what was it about that night, that day, that, uh, that made the difference. Obviously, it was the sovereignty of God. God chose that night to reach down and to touch my heart for Him and His cause and the cause of Christ. But from another standpoint, I know that it was the Word of God that God used that night and also the personal testimony of that preacher of the Word that God used to open my heart, to dream big, and of the possibilities of what it would be like to really walk with God and experience Him as being real in my life. Maybe when you think of your own testimony, maybe it was someone else's testimony uh, that really made a difference in your life, and that's a part even of your own testimony. And so we know that testimonies, personal testimonies, can be enormously powerful in the way of ministry to other people. And so it's good to give thought to how do you go about sharing your testimony in a way that pleases God and is effective. Uh, there's a right way to do it, and there's a million and a half wrong ways to share your testimony. Uh, for example, you know, if you're sharing how you got saved, you, you might say, well, here's how I got saved. I went to this crusade, and at the end, when the music started playing, I walked down the aisle and got saved. Well, that's true enough, but the problem is you've left the Lord out of that equation. The person listening to you doesn't know what they need to do to be saved. All they know is, okay, I guess if I want to get saved, I need to walk down an aisle somewhere. Um, and you're not giving them the information that they need. So you're not doing as good of a job in sharing your testimony as you otherwise uh, could. Or you can just say, well, you know what? I used to be involved in that kind of stuff, but I wisened up. I cleaned up my act. I don't do that anymore. Well, that might be true enough, but you've left, again, the Lord out of the equation. And sometimes, folks, uh, and parents, when you're talking to your children and sharing you know, how you were like when you were a kid or whatever. Sometimes when we share aspects of our own testimony, there can even be a little bit of arrogance and pride that kind of surfaces uh, as we're sharing. And so I think we're aware that there's wrong ways to do it. There's also a right way to do it. And so when we come across a passage like Ephesians 3, where the Apostle Paul is sharing aspects of his own testimony, uh, we ought to sit up and pay attention to how he goes about doing that so that we can learn from his example. And please understand, guys, that as we look at Ephesians 3, 2 through 12, actually 1 through 12, you see, for example, the first person pronoun used a number of times. This is a very personal passage where Paul is sharing things about himself and his own experience. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I... Paul, there's the pronoun, I. Verse 2, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. There's the pronoun me. Verse 3, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. Verse 4, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. He explains that insight in a nutshell. Look at verse 7, of which I was made. He's talking about something that happened in, in his life. 
Uh, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. Verse 8, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given. Even verse 13, therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations. And so as Paul is talking in this passage, it's very personal, and he is sharing aspects of his personal story for the benefit of of the Ephesian believers. And what I want to share with you guys this morning is just four tips, okay? Four tips uh, that we can infer from this passage that you want to keep in mind when you go about sharing your personal testimony with others uh, by way of ministry to them. The first tip that I think we can talk about this morning from this passage is this. When you share your personal testimony with other people, speak humbly about your unworthiness of God's goodness. As believers, we need to believe in our unworthiness of the goodness of God, but we also need to verbalize that and give expression to our awareness of our unworthiness of the goodness of God when we speak to other people. Otherwise, when we go share with people, yeah, God did this for me, and He answered this prayer, and He saved me, He delivered me from this and that and the other, they're going to think, well, He did that for you, but maybe there's something unique about you But by speaking to them of your unworthiness, of God's goodness, what you're doing is you're putting yourself down on their level and basically conveying to them that God can do the same for you, okay? And Paul actually does this in our passage uh, this morning. Look at verse 8 of chapter 3. In fact, go to verse 7. He says, of which, speaking of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of His power, And then Paul, a sense of amazement comes over him, and excitedly he says, verse 8, to me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. He's like, guys, can you believe this? I mean, to me, the least of all believers in the church, this unbelievable grace and favor from God was bestowed. Now, what's interesting about the word least Uh, Those of you that that understand English grammar, you know that the word least is already a superlative, right? You have less, and and that's the comparative, and then least is the superlative. You can't have someone that's more least than least, all right? That's as far as you can go. But notice the English translation, to me, the very least. And what they're trying to do in the New American Standard is to translate what's kind of an awkward wording on the part of Paul Paul is taking a superlative word, and he words it in the Greek like a comparative. In other words, he's saying, I'm literally the leastest, all right? That's grammatically improper in our language, but we understand the point that Paul is trying to make. Paul is saying that you take everyone in the church, and you take the category of people that you would deem to be the least worthy of any goodness from God, I am the leastest of the least. I am... Uh, less than even them. I am the very least in terms of being worthy to receive this gracious favor from God to be able to minister in His name. And speaking uh, this way, look what he says in verse 8. He says, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given. Writers who study this passage try to figure out what is Paul thinking about when he describes himself as the least. Uh, And ask yourself that question. What does he mean by that? Does he mean that he's the least in terms of spiritual authority? I don't think so. He was willing to exert apostolic authority over believers. He did that to the Corinthians, right? 
Is he speaking of the least in terms of holiness? I don't think so. He was a pretty holy guy. Is he speaking of himself as the least in terms of a passion and a love for the Lord? No, obviously he's not speaking of that because he's telling believers, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Obviously he saw himself as being a great example for believers to follow. So what does he mean when he describes himself as being the least of all the saints? Well, people who study this passage basically suggest that Paul has on his mind his former manner of life before Christ saved him, and Paul is basically saying, I am the least of all the saints in the church in terms of being the least worthy of any act of goodness from God. One writer says, Paul is not just thinking about the weakness of his flesh or his continued struggle with sin. I mean, every believer struggles with that. Rather, he has in view here his violent persecution of the church of God before he was saved. Paul is remembering his lifestyle before he came to know the Lord, and he's like, man, I am honestly the last person on earth who should have received this goodness from God. I am the least of all saints in terms of being unworthy of God's goodness. In fact, look at how Paul talks this way in other cases. 1 Corinthians 15, 9, Paul is talking to the Corinthian believers, and he says, For I am the least of the apostles, and not even fit to be called an apostle. Why? Look where his mind goes. Because I persecuted the church of God. He had just called himself an apostle, and then he begins to feel, you know what? I, I, I'm the least of all the apostles, and I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. And the reason is, is the way I lived before Christ saved me. I was a persecutor of the church of God. Now, many people today would look at Paul talking the way he does in verse 8 of Ephesians 3 and 1 Corinthians 15, 9, and tell Paul, you know what, Paul, you got a self-esteem problem. You need to get some pretty intense therapy and get some help with that to pump up your self-esteem. You know what? Paul would say, I don't need any help with my self-esteem. I'm very happy exactly where I am. Guys, this is a healthy, biblical self-esteem that Paul is manifesting here. We are not worthy of God's goodness and God's grace. That's a fact. We deserve his judgment instead of his goodness. And I'll tell you the difference between a healthy self-esteem and an unhealthy and an unbiblical self-esteem. A healthy self-esteem is the self-esteem that Paul manifests where he says, I'm the least of all the saints. I don't deserve God's goodness. I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be even called an apostle. But you know what? I am an apostle, and I am saved, and I have received goodness from God, a goodness I don't deserve, and I'll take it, and I'll live my life based on it. That's a healthy self-esteem. Unhealthy, unbiblical self-esteem is people who look at promises in the Word of God and provision in the Word of God for them as believers and the forgiveness of God that is given to them in Christ, and they say, well, I'm just so unworthy of this. I, I don't deserve this. This is too good to be true. And, and so they don't believe it. That's unbiblical. In fact, that's actually arrogance when you think about it. They're, they're looking at the very words of God, and they're saying, I don't believe that this is true. I disbelieve you, God. And so it's okay to believe you're unworthy of God's goodness as long as you actually follow that up by saying, but I have received his goodness and I take it and I'm going to live my life based on it and tell everyone I can about how good and gracious my God is. And that's the way that Paul was. Um, look at 1 Timothy 1.13 as he talks about his former manner of life. 
And I'll show you some passages here that talk about why Paul's former manner of life was such a pain uh, to him. He says in 1 Timothy 1.13, I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and violent aggressor. Okay? Um, Galatians 1.13, where Paul is sharing his testimony, uh, look at what he says. Uh, he says, I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. I didn't just persecute the church of God. I went way overboard in my persecution of the church of God. Acts 22, Paul is sharing his testimony in another setting. And he says, I persecuted this way, the Christian way, to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons. I started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. In Acts 26, Paul is standing before King Agrippa and Festus, and he says, I thought to myself to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and this is what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them, and as I punished them often in all of the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme, and being furiously enraged against them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. So Paul has a lot of baggage, and I'm sure even as a believer, he would wake up in a cold sweat uh, just remembering some of the terrible things that he did, and he'd have to preach the gospel to himself and, and experience the cleansing once again and to celebrate the love of God inside of the gospel where God had forgiven him. And so Paul never forgot this, and the thing is, not only did he never forget it, but he kept talking about it to people. In Galatians 1, 1 Timothy 1, 1 Corinthians 15, Acts 22, Acts 26, uh, Paul talks about it and tells other people about his former manner of life. We also learn something about his former manner of life from Luke. In Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it says, Saul was ravaging the church, entering house to house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. When you look, guys, at, at the description of Paul before he was saved, look at this. Uh, voted for the death of Christians, ravage. He was a ravager of the church, dragging off people to prison, blasphemer, persecutor, violent aggressor against the church, sought to destroy the church, bound Christians, hostile to the name of Jesus, a punisher of Christians, tried to force Christians to blaspheme, furiously enraged against the church. The word I think of is terrorist. He was a terrorist uh, of the Jerusalem church, struck terror and fear in the hearts of the believers, going from house to house, chasing them to foreign cities and dragging them to prison and voting for the death of a number of believers. Paul never forgot about this. And so when Paul, even in Ephesians 3, is talking about how good God has been to him and all that God has done in his life and what God has given to him, Paul's like, to me, all of this is to me, the leastest of all of the saints. I am the least worthy of such blessings from the Lord, and yet he has blessed me the way that he has in saving me and giving me the things that he talks about in this passage. And so when you share your testimony with other people, guys, be humble. Uh, tell people what you deserve, and yet speak of the goodness of God and the grace of God, uh, but speak humbly about your unworthiness of all of the goodness that God has given to you. And then kind of emerging from that, just a second tip 
uh, would be this, and that is make sure you give God the credit for any truths you know, all right? Any knowledge you possess in Christ, any truth you know, give God the credit for having given that to you. You know, there's something about knowledge. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1, knowledge does what? It puffs up. Knowledge makes arrogant. When we come to know certain things, even theology or things from the Word of God, and we're able to share those with other people, it's easy to become proud of what we know. Knowledge has a way of doing that, even true biblical knowledge. Uh, but uh, what Paul is modeling for us is that any knowledge you do possess, understand it was a gracious gift from God to you. You didn't deserve it. In fact, you deserve the opposite. And, and coming from Paul, this is significant. This guy had received multitudes of revelation from the Lord. He had been up to the third heaven and back and knew things he wasn't even permitted to talk about. Uh, this, guy, this guy had a profound understanding of God's wisdom and divine revelation more than he was even able to share. And uh, that would have puffed up a number of us. But you know what? Paul remained humble. Look how he speaks about this in verse 2. He says, if indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me, this knowledge I possess, this knowledge of the mystery that I'm talking about in this passage, it was given to me. I didn't go learn it. I didn't pursue it. I didn't go after it. I didn't merit it in any way. I didn't discover it on my own after a lot of hard work and intense study. It was given to me. As a gift, he says, it was a grace. It's God's grace. It was given to me as a gift of God's grace. And by the way, you know what grace is, right? Grace is God withholding from us what we do deserve, which is hell, and giving us the opposite of what we deserve. And Paul is saying, I deserve wrath and judgment from the hand of God. Instead, God graciously gives me knowledge and understanding of the mystery of Christ. Look at what he says in verse 3, that by revelation, there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. The knowledge I possess, it was given to me. It came by way of revelation. It was made known to me. It's totally a gracious gift from God to me. Uh, look at what he says in verse 4. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Paul, he didn't make any bones about it. He had great insight into the mystery of Christ. And this mystery, by the way, is a mystery. It's a, it's a knowledge that was actually withheld from and kept secret from the Old Testament saints. Look at verse 5, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit of which I am one. Paul is saying the knowledge and the insight that I possess was actually withheld from Abraham, from Isaac, from Daniel, from Isaiah, from Jeremiah, from all of the prophets. It was withheld from Moses. These guys would write uh, and speak, and then they would study the words that they would speak to try to learn the things that God has actually revealed to me. So what God withheld from Abraham and Moses and, and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel, the prophets, what God withheld from them, he has actually given to me by way of revelation. But see, Paul is not proud or arrogant over that fact. He is humbled by it. To me, the least of all saints, this stuff was given. And so he's giving God all of the credit. 
and praising the grace and the mercy of God and giving him the truths that he came to know. And so uh, not only do you need to, in your mind and heart, give God the credit for any truth that you know, even gospel truth, but verbalize that. Let people know, you know what, I don't deserve even whatever I'm sharing with you. It might be a blessing to you, but you know what? This is a gift from God to me. I don't deserve it. I deserve his judgment. Instead, I get truths like this that really bless me and with which I can bless other people. Even something as simple as the gospel by which you were saved. Guys, there's no way humanly you could have understood that unless God supernaturally opened up and illumined your mind to understand the gospel. Uh, if God didn't do that in your heart, you could have heard the gospel 100,000 times every day of your life and it would never have saved you. You would have never understood it if God didn't give you an understanding of the truth of the gospel. And so give him the credit and the glory for that as you testify to other people. Um, another tip, um, by the way, speaking of this, I remember talking to a guy a number of years ago in Indiana. We were visiting on vacation and there was a topic that we were talking about in Sunday school that day and um, um, after Sunday school, this guy got to talking to me, and he's a talker. He kind of has a reputation of being a talker. And uh, he was sharing with me some additional thoughts that he had on this particular matter and just sharing some insight and wisdom. And some of what he said was actually pretty good. And I was politely listening and asking a few questions to draw it out of him and everything. And, and when he got done and it kind of went on a little too long, I said, wow, that's, that's really interesting. And he said, oh, Milton, there's more. There's so much more where that came from. And he said, sometime we'll have to sit down. I got a lot more than this to share. I've never sat down with them and don't intend to, but, uh, but I, could, I, could, I could detect some pride in what he knew rather than a, a real humility that whatever wisdom he had, he deserved hell, but God was very good to, to give to him the wisdom that he did possess and was able to share. So let's make sure that we're not proud in uh, the truths that we know. And then a third tip, guys, when you share your testimony uh, with other people, whether they're saved or lost, give God the credit for anything good that you've become. So any good thing you know, give God the credit and the glory for it. Anything good that is in you, that you've become, in your character, in your person, make sure you give God all of the glory and the credit uh, for that. Look what Paul says about himself. Verse 6, he describes the mystery of the gospel, and then he says in verse 7, of which I was made a minister. He's saying passively, I was made into a minister. God made me the minister of the gospel that I am. I am not a self-made man. I did not pull myself up by my own bootstraps and shape myself into who I am as a minister of the gospel, I was made by God to be a minister of the gospel. And so he's making it very clear that we know who it is that has done that. In fact, look at what he says. And by the way, there are three times in this section that you see the prepositional phrase beginning with the word according to, all right? Uh, look at this. He says in verse 7, of which I was made a minister According to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me, that's the first one. Secondly, according to the working of his power, that's the second one. Look at verse 11. This was according to or in accordance with 
the eternal purpose which God carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul would basically say, as you look at the screen, he would say, if you want an explanation for how I have become who I am, I used to be a hater of the church, I hated Jesus Christ, I blasphemed Jesus Christ and tried to get other Christians to blaspheme him, uh, and I used to be a hater of the gospel, but now I love the gospel, I'm giving my life to proclaiming it near and far, and I am a minister of the gospel, I'm willing to suffer for Jesus and to preach boldly of the gospel in the name of Christ. If you want an explanation for how I have become who I am today as a minister of the gospel, I got three explanations for you. Number one, it's the grace of God. Number two, it's the power of God. And number three, it's the purpose of God. And it has nothing to do with me. It's God's grace that I am who I am today. God's undeserved favor. I deserve to be judged, but instead he molds and shapes my character into being, making me, fashioning me into a preacher and a minister of the gospel. It's the power of God that's actually been working in me. I could have never transformed myself in this way. God's power is what has accomplished this transformation in me to transform me from a hater of the gospel to a lover of the gospel. And it's also the purpose of God. God predestined from before the foundation of the world to do this work in my life and to make me who I am today. Look in other passages how Paul gives an explanation for who he is. 1 Corinthians 15.10, remember in verse 9 he says, um, I'm the least of the apostles, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. But look what he says in the very next verse. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored more abundantly than all of the other apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Here's Paul in one verse trying to describe why he is the way he is, and he uses the word grace three times. It's all grace, and it's by the grace of God, the undeserved favor of God, that I am who I am today. Um, I don't know about you, but I know when I look at myself, um, I, I see so many things in my character that should not be there, and it pains me to see that, and things that are not in my character that ought to be there, and that pains me to see that, and I'm thinking, man, I got so far to go, I need a thousand lifetimes just to get to where God wants me to be. But I am encouraged by the fact that I can look at myself by the grace of God and see good things that are in my character that I know were not there 20 years ago or 30 years ago. And some things have been burned out of my character that were there 20, 30 years ago. And so there are good things that are in me that God has done and when I see those good things or when others might see those good things, I have to be careful that I give all of the credit to God and not just say, well, it's God who did it, uh, but also crediting a God who has graciously done it. I deserve judgment. Instead, he's actually transforming me little by little into what he wants me to be. And guys, the same is true in your life. Anything that's good in you, you need to give God the glory for that as you pray to him. Praise him for the good that he's done and is doing and the good things he's putting in your life and in your character. And when other people might come up to you and say, hey, you know, I noticed this about you. You just seem to have a peace. I mean, you're not perfect, but you just seem to have a peace about this circumstance or trial that you're in. And uh, I just envy that. 
Don't just say, well, thank you. I really appreciate that. Yes, I do have a piece about this. Um, thanks for noticing. Uh, you need to go beyond that, and you have an opportunity to testify, to give a testimony and say, you know what? I do have a piece, but this is not the natural me. This is of God, and it's God who has put this in me. And take the opportunity to testify of Jesus Christ and what he can do in your life. So anything good in you, make sure that you give the credit to God. Uh, look at one more passage here real quick. Uh, 1 Timothy 1.12, and you'll see the pattern of grace, or power, grace, and God's purpose to explain how Paul became who he is. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me. So in other words, he has empowered me. There's the power of God because he considered me faithful, putting me into ministry. Uh, in other, when he says he considered me faithful, that doesn't mean God looked at Paul as a persecutor of the church and thought, you know, there's a faithful guy. I'm going to choose him to be a minister of the gospel. No, just like God reckoned Abraham to be um, righteous because Abraham believed God, God reckoned Paul to be faithful. He made him by his own reckoning to be faithful. And Paul became what God reckoned him to be. Verse 13, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. There's power, the power of God, the grace of God. And then also look at what he says next. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason, for this purpose, I found mercy so that in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul went around believing he was the worst sinner that ever lived. And uh, so Paul's thinking was, okay, I'm the worst sinner that's ever lived. God has saved me and shown me grace and mercy. And so I can now look at any sinner in the face and say, listen, if God showed mercy to me, the worst sinner that's ever lived, I know that he can show mercy to you because you're a lesser sinner than I myself am. That was his perspective. And so Paul says, if you want an explanation for how I become who I am, it's the grace of God, it's the power of God, and it's the purpose of God as well. Well, one final tip, folks, when you share your testimony with other people, you want to make sure you give God the credit for what you know, credit for who you are, but also give God the credit for whatever good things you do, all right? Any good things you do, anything you accomplish, any noble task that you are engaged in, give God the credit and the glory for that. View that task as not a duty, but it's a privilege that has been graciously given to you. You don't deserve to be able to serve him. Uh, but he gives you that privilege and he empowers you to do that faithfully. And so give the glory to him. If you ever speak about maybe what God has done through you in the lives of other people, make sure you give the credit and the glory to God for having given you that privilege and then for having worked through you in the lives of those you minister to. Very quickly, guys, look at this. You know, Paul went around preaching Christ and the riches of Christ. He went around shedding light on this mystery of the gospel to those that he ministered to. Paul was actually um, uh, building the church. God was building it through him. 
so as the church can advertise the magnificence of the manifold wisdom of God to angelic beings even, Paul was going around day to day and actually interacting with people and bringing people into the holy of holies so that they can enjoy access with God. He's doing that every day, and yet Paul says, by way of describing all of those ministries, he says, it's a gracious gift from God to me. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, to me, the very least of all saints, this undeserved favor, this grace was given. And what is it? Here's the first privilege. To preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. He says, it's, it's a gracious privilege to be able to go around and preach to Gentiles the riches of Christ. Let me ask you something. If that was your calling and you were in Paul's shoes, would you be calling that a wonderful, undeserved favor from God? Uh, keep in mind, Paul didn't go around preaching to Gentiles and everyone was polite to him, going, oh, that's neat. You're just talking to Gentiles and we affirm you. No, five times he received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods, shipwrecked and persecuted, imprisoned times without number. He got a lot of abuse for the fact that he was going to Gentiles preaching to them the unfathomable riches of Christ. And yet, in spite of all of that abuse, abuse Paul says, to me, the least of all saints, this grace was given. I get to preach to Gentiles. I get to suffer for Jesus Christ um, as I preach to the Gentiles. This is a privilege. He called me to this. He gave me this calling, and he gives me the power to discharge this privilege as well. A second privilege that he talks about is in verse 9, where Paul went around bringing to light the new world order under the administration of the mystery. Verse 9, he says, and to bring to light, to me this grace was given, to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages had been hidden in God who created all things. In other words, he says, right now, God is using me to explain to people and to shed light on and to actually help bring to pass a whole new age in human history. Uh, and that is an age where there is the church of Jesus Christ consisting of Jew and Gentile as one people of God where both Jew and Gentile enjoy equal status with God by believing in Jesus. Paul was actually one of those crucial figures in human history uh, who actually was used by God to usher in an age. That's a heady calling. And yet Paul's walking around saying to me, the least of all the saints, this unbelievable grace has been given. There's a third privilege that he gives glory to God for, and that is to help advertise. He went around helping advertise God's wisdom to the principalities and powers through the church. Look at verse 10. So that the manifold or literally multicolored wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And saying multicolored, speaking of the wisdom of God, he's speaking of the fact that now in the church there's Jews, there's Gentiles, there's barbarians, there's Scythians, there's bond, there's free, there's Greeks, there's Romans, there's black, there's white, there's all sorts of races. You know what? All of them are together as one in Christ with equal status before God. Paul is saying, guys, we're doing something that has never been done before in human history. And even the angels, the angelic beings are stooping low and are observing and admiring the wisdom of God as it is being displayed through us in the church of Jesus Christ. And I get to contribute to all of this. 
And Paul says, this to me, the least of all saints, I get to do this. And lastly, the fourth privilege was he went around showing others the access that they can have to God and actually ushering them into that presence of God. He says in verse 11, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. That word boldness speaks of freedom of speech. So we have access to God. Paul's saying, I'm leading people into this access with the Father where they come into the presence of God and they don't cower in fear, but they actually can speak freely in an unhindered, bold way to him. And they can also have confidence, meaning an expectation of favor, where they can, I'm telling them, if you believe in Jesus, you can come into God's presence anytime you want, and you can have a confident expectation of favor from him every time you enter into his presence. We don't have to cower in his presence because we've had a bad day and we're like, man, I wonder how he's going to treat me. Is he mad at me? Are his arms going to be crossed? Is he going to be ticked at me? Should I wait a few days for him to calm down? And what's he going to do against me? No. Paul's saying, if you believe in Jesus, I don't care if you're Jew or Gentile, having a good day or bad day, you can come into the presence of God anytime you want with boldness and with a confident expectation of favor. And Paul went around leading others into the enjoyment of that and his perspective, I mean, this is a rich ministry. Uh, and Paul is saying, as I'm doing all of this, I want you to know God is the one who gave me the privilege to do this, and he's the one who empowers me to do it. Me, Paul, <laughs> the least of all saints, the lowest of all the saints, this unbelievable honor has been graciously given. The last slide I want to show you is just by way of summary, folks. When you do share your testimony... Uh, just keep in mind Paul's example. Your testimony should manifest a humble spirit regarding yourself. You should speak humbly of your unworthiness of the goodness of God. But nonetheless, you need to embrace the goodness of God and champion that goodness. And as you share your testimony with others or nuances of your testimony or aspects of your story in Christ, your testimony should give all of the glory to God for what you know for who you are, and for anything good that you do. Now, in closing, guys, I'm not talking about just those times where you officially testify. You're asked to speak like Ronnie Munoz did at the Memorial Day picnic last Sunday that, okay, whenever I'm asked to do that, I got to make sure I keep these things in mind. No, guys, you have all of us testify several times a day, whether we realize it or not. Anytime we share anything that we've learned or any way that God has blessed us, we're testifying. Anytime anyone asks you, how's it going? Whatever you might say in response to that is an opportunity to testify. And if you're all down in the mouth and, and just speaking bad about everyone and everything, you know what? You've just testified. You've just testified about your God. And what you have said is, does not give glory to Him. And so realize that testifying um, you know, happens all the time. It happens several times a day many opportunities with their spouses, with their children, with loved ones, family members, co-workers. We have many opportunities to testify on a daily basis. And when you do testify, keep this example in mind. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning.
Understand, guys, that giving your personal testimony or aspects of it is a powerful ministry opportunity. And so make this a week where you seize upon opportunities to testify. Maybe, you know, I'm sure many of us, we have opportunities to testify in little ways, but we don't really see them. We haven't seen them as opportunities to testify, but see them that way. And may this be a week where at every given opportunity, we appropriately testify humbly and in a way that truly gives glory to God for what we know, for who we are, and for any good thing that we do. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us to have a rich week of testifying this week. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We know, Lord, that you have been good to us, not as an end in itself, but you have been good to us so that we can speak and open our mouths and tell people about who you are and what you have done. We deserve your judgment. You have withheld that judgment from us, and you have lavished upon us so many blessings, Lord. You've given us knowledge. You've changed our character and transforming us. You've given us things to do that are good and noble and decent and right, and you empower us to do them. May we see all of these things as grace from you. And may we tell others of this grace and be champions of the grace and the mercy of our God as we testify to others of you. Lord, we just give ourselves to you and ask that you would guide us even tonight as we further process these things in our care groups and community with one another. We ask these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen.